name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Direct, O Lord, all our actions by their holy inspirations and call, carry them on by their gracious assistance so that every prayer and work of ours may begin from thee and by thee be happened through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our Lady of Divine Grace, pray for Amen. us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Okay, so the conference is on mercy. And so, but before we talk about mercy, we have to revisit something that we talked about some time ago. So a law is a promulgated ordinance of reason by he who has care of of the common good for the sake of the common good. Okay. Sake of the common good. So this means that whenever we violate a law, then we act contrary to this ordinance of reason. So we act contrary to reason, right? So um, anytime we violate, we act contrary to reason if it's a true law in that respect. Um, we violate the rights of the one who did it, and we also mitigate against the common good. Okay. Mercy, St. Thomas says, is the virtue, it's an actual virtue, but he says it's the, uh, which is uh, sub-virtue to uh, justice. Sometimes it's listed under charity, but it's actually under justice. He says, in which, in mercy, uh, you don't apply the punishment that's due to the bond of justice. What does that mean? Well, let's back up. So when we commit a sin, we do two things. One is that intellectually we recognize, we have an act of conscience. We know that what we're doing is sinful, or proposed to do is sinful. Second, we have to make a choice of the will. So I, I could do this or I might not do this, but I choose to do it. And so as a result of that, my will then wills the evil so that the will actually goes into the will, becomes part of the will, becomes a quality in the will now. <clears throat> That's what St. Thomas says sin actually is. It's this, it's this thing, the blame, or this quality left in the will as a result of the fact that you, it's made this choice. Okay. And then from there, I, uh, you know, so I make, I make the decision to, uh, to eat all of Scruffy's food by committing intemperance, and so I eat all his food, and then I commit gluttony in the process, right? So then my lower faculties also become disordered through the process. That quality in the will means that your will has joined itself to evil, because when you will it, you unite yourself to the evil that's in your mind. The will moves towards it and becomes one with it. So there's that bond that occurs as a result of each time you commit a sin. What mercy is on the side of God is, is it's the loosening of that bond of justice to you. So even though you might be sorry for it afterwards, and this is where the Protestants miss the boat, you might be sorry for it afterwards, but the quality or this this shame or this thing in your will remains. It doesn't, you can't get rid of it fully yourself. Okay. So what mercy is, 
is mercy is the loosening of that bond of justice. So when you do, and there are certain things we're going to see, what are the conditions necessary for mercy? Because recently in one of the magisterial documents, it talked about how mercy is unconditional. That's not true. That's not at all what the Old Testament taught, and that's not at all what the New Testament taught. Okay. So the point being is, is then what's the... Uh, so there's certain conditions that are necessary in order for that bond to be loosened from you. People very often mistake mercy with compassion. There are two distinct virtues. So mercy is the habit in which when people have violated a law, or like if we have, if someone's violated our legitimate command, we'll loose the bonds of justice and not punish them fully, right? Okay. That's different from compassion. A lot of times we use the word uh, mercy in relationship to compassion, but compassion is different. Compassion obviously comes from the two Latin words, compartire, patiri, tire, which is the ability to suffer with somebody. So when you look at somebody and you see their suffering, you'll move to make those things in their lives, to ameliorate them or to help them so that they don't end up with this problem. That's not the same thing as mercy in the strict sense. Now, we use it sometimes. You know, don't you have any mercy on the guy? Okay, that's a very loose use of the term, but it's not the actual technical theological term. Compassion doesn't necessarily deal with the law, although it might. God does have compassion on us when we violate the law and end up suffering a lot as a result of it. But that doesn't necessarily mean that... um, uh, which is distinct from his mercy, which, of course, is the actual loosening of the bonds of justice. So this is a distinction I want to keep in mind because of the fact that a lot of times they'll talk about, for example, people being in irregular marriages and we have to have mercy on them. No, not necessarily. We have to have compassion on them. and It may not be our place to administer justice to them, but the fact is that we might have to have compassion for they're in a bad situation, we want to get it straightened out, etc., or we might have compassion on the fact that they're so clueless, they don't know what they're doing. Okay. But, so then the question becomes, mercy to whom, if you look in the Old Testament, and you look in the New Testament, okay, so as soon as Eve and Adam and Eve fell, God then promised the upcoming Savior in the Proto Evangelium, and in that promise, if they had belief in that, then God's mercy would extend to them. Okay, so why did God cut man mercy and he didn't cut the angel's mercy? Well, it's because of the two reasons why God gives people mercy. One is because you're clueless. In other words, you've heard me say this before, mercy is for the stupid. It's because we're stupid that God will cut us some slack. But why does he cut us slack in this area? It's a very key question. Um, and it has to do with what we'll see as the first condition for mercy when we are con- contrite. In other words, the person who's sorry, the person who's sorry God will have mercy on. You know, repent of your sins, basically. Repent means turn away from them and recognize them as evil, etc. Okay, so in contrition, there's essentially three elements. And this is where people tend to get it wrong, right? So... The first is there must be an acknowledgement of the evil. You must acknowledge the evil. It's an intellectual thing. You have to recognize 
What I have done is evil. And why is this necessary? Well, because if you don't recognize that it's evil, then you're not going to try and get it straightened out, or you're going to continue doing it. And so you're going to end up with problems along that line. So you have to acknowledge that it's evil. This is why the clueless get some slack. Because when they chose it, they didn't fully grasp the evil of it. Mm-hmm. So God will sometimes cut people who are clueless some slack or mercy because of the fact that he doesn't necessarily require this acknowledgement fully because they didn't grasp it fully. Okay. Okay, that being said, so people who insist on staying in their sin and think it's okay, you don't extend mercy to them. Why? Well, it has to go with the next one. So the next one is is that you have to be willing to do. So the first one is, I'll confess my sins. So I have to confess my sins. Why do I confess my sins? To make it, to to tell the priest, for example, or to other people. It's an acknowledgement of what you've done is evil. It's actually confession is bringing to the priest the knowledge of the crime that you've committed in relationship to God's law. Okay. And so there's an acknowledgement. So I have to confess, to do penance. And what does penance mean? Penance means I'm going to make it right. I'm going to rectify it, the situation. What does this mean? Okay, so. If I take 50 cents from somebody and I steal it, right? And then I walk up to him and I still have the 50 cents in my pocket. And I say, you know, I'm really sorry that I stole your 50 cents. But I still keep it in my pocket. Am I really sorry? Obviously not. Because I'm still not, I'm not fully recognizing the evil and I'm not trying to make it right. This make it right is on the side of the will, primarily. But if I, if I refuse to make it right, it means that I don't truly recognize the evil so let's back up just a little bit. When I commit a sin, okay, the intellect makes a judgment about the evil of what I possibly could be doing. So there's a judgment on the side of the intellect. But the judgment will also include this good thing that you can get out of it. But St. Thomas says that the will is a blind faculty, and the will can only choose something insofar as the intellect tells us what the truth is in relationship to it. So the intellect proposes something to the will, the will then makes a choice. St. Thomas says that the will is incapable of choosing evil for its own sake. It's contrary to its nature. It can only choose something under the, the aspect of the real good, it's really good, or that it at least has the appearance of the good. That means that when a sinful act is proposed by the intellect to the will for choice, there's two components, the evil and the good what's under the appearance of the good. But if you took it all together, it's obviously evil. The will, because it can't will that, has to move the intellect to make a subsequent judgment and remove the evil part about it or ignore that and focus only on the good. That means that the intellect is actually moved by the will to judge something contrary to the truth. Because what's truth? It's the conformity of the intellect with the thing. Well... The thing is evil, so the intellect has to break its connection to the thing, to reality, and present it to the will under this false appearance, basically, in order for this to happen. Now, because the intellect, St. Thomas says, is designed by nature to know the truth, 
Every time you commit a sin, you do violence against the nature of the will, of the intellect. Because the intellect is not designed to do that. Now, the principal effect of violence is weakness. You weaken the thing that you commit the violence against. So every single time we commit a sin, we weaken our intellect. In other words, we get dumb. So the sin more we sin, the dumber we get. This is why, as part of contrition, you have to acknowledge the evil because the, the intellect has to be set aright. You have to intellectually recognize it, and then the will will see the true evil in it, and then it will sorrow, which is what it should have looked at in the first place. Okay. Then, once the will recognizes this is e- that I have committed this evil, if it's truly sorry, it will desire to make it right, and that's why we have to do penance. So what is this making it right? It means two things. There's two parts of the penance. The first is interior. You've messed up your faculties. So now, because why? Because I ate too much. I ate all the scruffies, dog food. Okay. As a result of that, my lower faculties now have the habit of being inclined towards eating scruffies, dog food, inordinately. And so the principal way that I have to make do penance is to get this thing back under control through mortification. Okay. So that's the, that's the interior part. This is why we have to do penance. This is why the priest assigns a penance. If the person refuses to do the penance, then they're really refusing to make it right, which means they're still wed to the evil, which means they're not truly sorry. That's why you don't have mercy on someone who's not going to make it right or won't acknowledge what they're doing is evil because their will isn't properly corrected yet. The third, so to confess my sins, to do penance, and to amend my life. What does that mean? It means that I'm not going to do it in the future. So there was no purpose of amendment. They're not going to make it right in the future, which means they're not truly sorry. If you're truly sorry, you'll see it's evil and you won't want it. You won't want it in your life. Okay. So when we're talking about mercy being applied to people, we're really being, at least in relationship to us and God, the violations of his law. It means we have to recognize that what we've committed is a sin, which is a violation of the law of God. We have to want to rectify the situation in relationship to God because not only have we messed up our interior life, but part of this, so I forgot to mention one other thing. So part of it is interior, the other part's exterior. Every time you commit a sin, you detract from God's glory. Now, the reason God created you is so that he could manifest his glory externally to himself. And every time you commit a sin, you take away from that. Because he owns us and we are his property, every time we do that, we are robbing from him something. And as a matter of justice, we have an obligation to restore that order. So, not, and that's why we have to do the penance too. It's not just to... Um, to get things straightened out interiorly, although that's the primary way, but it also means you have to externally rectify his glory in relationship to all this. Okay. But in the amendment of life, it also means that if you're going to make it right externally, you're not going to want to cause any damage in relationship to um, anything in the future. So people, therefore, who are living like, for example, in invalid marriages, but refuse to get it straightened out, or to even make it right what they've done in the past, or even to acknowledge what they're evil, you don't extend mercy to them. 
Now, you might have some compassion for them because of the fact that they're, they are, in fact, suffering spiritually because they're clueless. Or, or if they're not clueless, then you might have some compassion for them in the sense of you can recognize that, you know, if it wasn't for the grace of God, I could end up in the same kind of situation, if not worse. But in point of fact, that's different from mercy. Mercy would be you're loosening the bonds of... You're loosing the bonds of justice. In this particular case, the person who isn't contrite is still wed to his sin. He's still united to it. And so you don't loosen the bond to it because he's not disposed for it to be removed from him. That's why God doesn't do it. Now, in relationship, which is kind of interesting, because in relationship to demons, they know what they did is wrong, so they acknowledge that it was evil. But... They have no intentions of making it right, and they have no purpose of amendment of life, obviously. Because with them, their evil is perfectly, their will is now fixed in this, so they can't have it. This is why everybody who dies in this life, either they go to heaven or hell, purgatory obviously is an intermediate stage. So what's going to happen is, is uh, the people in hell, their will is fixed on evil. And so... When you hear things, for example, in a recent magisterial document, it said that it's contrary to the spirit of the gospel to think that, uh, that hell is eternal. No, it's not. Christ, of course, mentions it numerous times in the New Testament that it's eternal, where the worm dieth not. What's the worm? You recognize it's evil. It's chewing away at you. But there's no purpose of amendment because your will is fixed. The demons are not capable of choosing, choosing otherwise. They're not capable of being receptive to mercy because... You can't loosen the bonds of justice relationship to them because they are permanently wed to their evil by their choice. The same with people who have died. This is a very key point. In fact, I think I might have mentioned this in a, another conference, but one time, I, I mean, I've done this with them. Okay, so you recognize what you did was evil, yeah. And you knew that it was cause offense, God, yes. And you knew it was, uh, you were going to suffer all these things, yes. And you do it again, yes. Because there's no purpose of amendment. So how can you forgive them if their intention is to continue doing it? You don't. Okay, so this is a very important point in relationship to mercy and to uh, compassion. So then there's basically three kinds of mercy. The first is divine mercy. That's the mercy that God has to us for the sins that we're sorry for. Okay. By the way, let's just back up just a bit. Part of the reason why uh, God has to punish us is because of the same reason you spank a child. The reason you spank a child is you associate evil with, uh, or pain with bad behavior. People today will not acknowledge the evil that they're doing. And as a result of that, because they won't acknowledge the evil that they're doing, they, uh, God is going to have to spank us basically, so that we recognize what we're doing is evil, so that his mercy can actually extend to us. Yeah. Okay. Normally, he can give us to this as grace, so we enlightens our mind, actual grace. You can ask God, enlighten my mind, so that when I see, when I see this, I can acknowledge what's evil and see it, and also have the inclination of the will to make sure I avoid um, those things in the future, and that I turn away from it. But the point is in all of this is that because people won't acknowledge the evil, then... God has to punish us in order to set us aright. Now, normally in this life, he wants us to be under his mercy. Because why? 
St. Thomas says, why do you loosen the bonds of justice? And he says, the reason you loosen them is because of the good of the individual, or the common good in some cases, but it's for the good of the individual. So the reason God has mercy on us is because it's better for us spiritually that he doesn't mete out the full effects of our sin, because if he did mete out the full effects of our sin, then the degree of suffering and the disorder in our lives would become so tremendous and so great we would just despair, right? So part of the reason for mercy is to give us hope, okay? But this also means, though, that we have to do what? So in relationship to God, we have to meet these conditions in order for us to be able to be worthy of his mercy, that doesn't mean, though, if we see, so that it's in relation, our relationship to God, but then there's the relationship we have to two other things. One is in relationship to ourselves. I think I talked a little bit about this this last time. When people commit a sin, they hurt themselves. And so one of the things that happens is, is that when people commit a sin, they recognize the evil that they've committed, and they want to make it right. But it's not just that you want to make it right. It's how you make it right that is important. So, and people will amend my life. Okay, I'm going to avoid this in the future. Now, there's two ways you can make this thing right. One is start building the virtue in the relationship to those things as well. You know, the things that you have. So, the first thing you have to do is stop eating Scruffy's dog food. Okay. But the second thing is, is that in relationship to myself, there is a kind of damage that we cause to ourselves. The saints are very clear about this. This, the disorder that we introduce into our faculties, these lower faculties, as a result of our sin, and even the intellect and will, is so deep that there's two stages of purification that a person has to go to to get it out. The first is the active purgative way, which is uh, the one in which we try and root it out by developing virtue. So we make it right by developing the virtue. The second one is in relationship to the, the passive period, but that's not enough. We can't fully root it out. So God literally has to go into the soul and dig it out. Now, when he digs it out, it's going to be very painful. And so that's the passive period of way, and that's part of the, the making it right. But that tells you something. We, I mentioned this in the conference on perfectionism, we are incapable of making ourselves perfect. We are incapable of making it fully right. That means that what? Because we're not capable of making it perfectly right, all we can do is get it to a certain stage, and then at that stage we have to just cooperate with God, and it's in that cooperation with God that he will continue to root it out, right? And so it's on his part. But that tells you that what? In his making it right, it's also part of his act of mercy. Why? Because, even though it's justice in the sense that we have to go through a punishment because of what we've done in order to make it right, we have to do a penance, it's also a matter of his mercy. Why? Because those, the bond of justice which we adhere to in our will flows over into our lower faculties, and so now they're inclined to the evil. And so it's merciful on God's part to loosen not just the bond in the will, so he forgives our sin, but he also removes the effects of the sin. Okay. That tells us that we are not capable of fully removing the effects of our sin. So at a certain stage, what has to happen is, is not only do we have to accept God's mercy in relationship to our own sin and recognize that he's forgiven it, but we have to forgive ourselves, which means what? Not holding on to that sin and trying to make it right, because we can't do that. You're still holding on to it. 
you have to let loose of it and let him correct it. That's the only way it can be done. Now, it doesn't mean that you slack off in developing virtue. It just means it switches to cooperation to where he can make it right. And then it means also that we have to have this kind of this purpose of amendment. Okay. Now, this means, though, therefore, so there's divine justice. Then there's human, there's divine mercy. Then there's human mercy, part of which is for ourselves. It's also part of the virtue of charity. If you really love yourself, you'll want what's best for yourself. And what you want your best yourself is I don't want these effects of sin in my soul. And I know I can't get them out, so I just have to surrender him and accept his mercy in this. And no, I can't make it right fully. I can do some of it, but not all of it. But then the second part is, is our obligations and mercy and, ju- and mercy to other people. And that's where charity becomes a key thing. In, in what can happen is, is when we, uh, in having mercy, uh, what we tend to do is, uh, for other people, if we don't have mercy, it's because all we're doing is looking at the evil. We see the evil. You know, the guy's just disordered. Or we hold on to these things from the past. He's done this, all these evil things in the past. Therefore, I'm not going to cut him slack right now. Or I'm not going to loosen the bonds of justice, even though he's contract, I'm going to hold on to what I want rather than what's best for his soul. Okay, So that negativity can be just an acknowledgement of evil and not trying to extend to making it right. What does that mean? It means that <clears throat> what God is doing with his mercy is making it right. He's straightening it out. We have to have the same approach in relationship to our own mercy. We should have mercy on people in order to make it right. But that means two things. One, we have to be able to put aside how we feel, any experience we've had in the past, and look at charity, and have, have motivations of charity. That is, I want what's best for this person spiritually in this moment. Now, sometimes what's best for the person spiritually is they, take it, they get their spanking. But we'll talk about that in a minute. But the primary thing is that our immediate disposition should always be that if the conditions are right, we would immediately, without reserve, extend mercy to the individual because that's what God does to us that if we meet the conditions boom he immediately gives it to us he doesn't withhold it okay so holding off say well you keep working at it maybe I'll give it to you it's not how it works okay so the only time we wouldn't extend some a mercy to somebody is if one of these conditions is lacking like the person just refuses to accept the fact that what they're doing is is disorder so then you don't you're not mercy to them or if they're unwilling to make it right then you don't extend the mercy to them. Or if they're willing to make it right, but they still want to do it again in the future, yeah, don't give them mercy. Why? Which is mercy being what? In the sense of any legit, if we're an authority in relationship to somebody, if there's a legitimate punishment that should come to them, we might loosen that punishment if it was best for them spiritually. But if it's not, if it's because one of these things are lacking, those, one of those three things is lacking, then it means that the mercy shouldn't extend to them and they have to pay the price a little bit at first. Unless, in showing the mercy, the person's heart would be touched and then they would change. But again, it's looking at what's best for the person spiritually. So this is the actual structure of mercy. Now, mercy, so mercy is loosing the bonds of justice, which is different from the virtue of clemency. Mercy is in relationship to the injustice itself. Clemency is in relationship to the punishment. Okay. Punish, when you punish somebody, there's, it, the punishment stands in a threefold relationship to what they've done. Either it's excessive, 
right? Where you're punishing them too excessively and it's too much, okay? Um, what you see from happens when people get angry, right? As soon as people get angry, inclemency goes out, or clemency just goes out the window, and they suffer from vindication or inclemency, okay? Then the other opposite extreme would be where there's not the punishment isn't sufficient, and as a result, the person doesn't have doesn't, it's not made right. There's not rectitude that occurs. Whereas clemency is a disposition on the side of the soul. It's in the virtue in which the person is willing to immediately loosen the punishment if it's better for the person. Now that tells you two things in relationship to mercy and in relationship to. Um, to clemency. St. Augustine says that God's mercy is the greatest manifestation of his goodness. What does that mean? It means that God wants for us what is good despite what we've done to him. He still wants what's good for us. So that's, a, that's the sign of his mercy and the fact that he extends it to us. The second thing is, is that a lot of times God blocks the full effect of our sin, and so he cuts because it would be harmful to us. So what does this mean? It means his focus is always the good. So in relationship to other people, even when they treat us terribly, and etc., our focus still always has to be the good, never what's evil. Okay, But this is a key thing. Now, it also means that mercy, because it's a virtue, has to be moderated just as compassion has to be moderated. I mean, we talk about bleeding hearts and, you know, bleeding heart liberals, right? We, we hear about that, and that's because why? They're compassion for people, they suffer with people, but in, in a way that's not properly moderated, you know? And this is something that's important for parents, it's important for everybody who's in a position of authority. Look, sometimes if you really like somebody, you still have to let them suffer it because it's for their betterment, right? Um, and sometimes people just won't do the right thing, and so you just have to let them pay the price for it at a certain stage. Um, and so this means that with the compassion, you can't let the compassion drive you to not applying, um, affecting your judgment so that prudentially, especially in supernatural prudence, you're not applying mercy properly. That's what I see in the current magisterium. They see people suffering, but they fail to realize that it's not for people's spiritual benefit just to let them off the hook because none of this is taking place and so nothing is being made right and God is continuing to be offended. But it's important to keep that clemency and that, uh, that disposition, that clemency and that mercy, but it still has to be governed by supernatural prudence, just as charity does. Okay. That was a lot of information in a short period of time. Yeah, true. So... Um, it's the virtue by which one does not go to extremes in punishment. Or that you, another, sometimes he'll define it as um, the virtue by which one is willing to mitigate punishment for the good of the individual. So, any questions? And just to repeat, if I understand this, in the beginning you said sin, when you sin, you actually become attached to the thing and one with the sin. Yes, because you, your will in willing it. Yeah, yeah. The form that's in the intellect of this sin right. is now in your will. It's your will is now that sin is it's in your affected. will. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that's why you get. And then you have the dark like, side. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. So then, um, trying to what I'm trying to get at is why you need you know Protestants don't have confession, and so they don't really have a way out of that. Um, 
No, they don't. The other oh, problem right. is too is is that even though they say you know, um, you know, do you believe Jesus Christ is Lord? So you're, you're saved. They never in some Protestant theologies, you never have to be sorry for your sin. Ultimately, mm-hmm. I mean, they would say you're supposed to turn away, you know, from this, but you know, if you truly accepted Jesus Christ, you'd be sorry. So they don't have the other two components. Yeah, they don't have <coughs> acknowledged evil. Yeah, in fact, they would say that you know, once you're saved, you're always saved. So even if you do something that is objectively against the Ten Commandments, which is a contrary amendment of life, they would say you're still saved. So they really have no way to separate themselves from the sin. Except baptism, but that baptism belongs to us, I mean, all through the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. But that being said, um, after baptism, uh, perfect contrition. That's the only way they could do it. Which requires an extraordinary grace, which is not very common. Everyone's got this idea that, it, you know, that you know, they'll say, well, if you're in a state of mortal sin, just make an act of perfect contrition before you go to communion. Well, look, this is, that stuff doesn't grow on trees here. It's an extraordinary grace that God has to give to somebody specifically. You have to do that. Yeah. So. Wow. What is the exact difference between make it right and remembrance of life? Because if you want to make something right, doesn't that mean you don't want, you're not going to want to do it in the future? You're trying to make it. Well, this, yeah, no, this, the making it right means, this is, the, this is right now, in the present. Oh, okay. The my life means I'm going to avoid it in the future. Okay. One also has an interior component, and the other one, amending your life, making it right is exterior. It can't, yeah, part of it is, yeah. Part of it is, and amending your life is more interior. <clears throat> yeah, that's right. So, no questions? Yeah, when you... This has to do with temptation now. Let's say, um, you know, a lot of times you get, you know, if you try to fight the temptation, you say you can end up, you know, where you can't, you know. You, yeah. You, get, you know, so I'm trying to relate that to this. Um, so, so the will, you know, so you get basically kind of bonded with this, whatever this evil is, you know, mm-hmm. and then you... Um, oh, which, by the way, that means that the will has an inclination to the evil? Right. So you have malice now, and you also have right. weakness. Malice and weakness. Because to do the good now is going to be more difficult because your inclinations are contrary to it. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So you were saying you really need this grace to, because um, you're talking about making it right, you kind of really need this grace to overcome it, right? You know, you're, yeah, you need, uh, the church says that in order to have contrition, true contrition, it requires an actual grace. You can be sorry for your sin because of the damage, yeah. but to, to go through this process where it's going to be made right and you're going to avoid it in the future requires grace. Yeah. And that requires confession, right? On the side of the Catholic, yeah. Well, if there's no questions, I'll give you a blessing. Benedicta de omnipotentis patris et filii et spiritus et supervos et maria semper. Amen.